lot of kids are dying from knife crime. A lot. A lot more than what people realise. I'm not going in prison anymore. I'm not going to take drugs anymore. How did? What happened in your life that made you want to stop? What was the catalyst for that? When it comes to knife crime, is we're all battling to try and get police control kits put up in areas. Not only are you out of the gangs, away from selling drugs, away from taking drugs, you are now doing really positive things with Carla for other people. Yeah. Although that is who made you who you are, what essentially has happened is that with the love and support of Carla and you want to do right by your kids, mm. you've turned your life 360, not 180, you've done a complete 360. Not only are you out of the gangs, away from selling drugs, away from taking drugs, you are now doing really positive things with Carla for other people. Yeah. And I think we need to talk about that. So let's talk about you did. So you did the secondary school. So original, right. So how it started. Yeah. So I, because the story behind the, the, the drugs and the coming off the drugs, um, I, I, I originally, I first started and I volunteered at a service. At Telelight, I used the support group at the service. I decided to open up about my life for the first time. Okay. I tried something different. And I ended up running the support group that I was using. Okay. Um, and I, I, I put a module together with a friend of mine, like 50 pages of stuff to do with responsibility, acceptance and all that. And we ended up running the group. And, and I volunteered every single day, five days a week. And obviously, Carla, she was really nervous about that because I was obviously going to be back around that life. Yeah. So she was nervous every time I went. But as a result of that, I ended up getting a job. So the service that supported me, I ended up then working for them. But whilst I was doing that, I got introduced to a lady called Nikki. And they was looking for like ex-gang members, people like myself, to do a bit of restorative justice with young people and their parents. So that would be sitting in front of young people, telling them a bit about my background. And then hopefully by the end of my conversation, they'd understand the, you know, the choices that they've made. And there'd be an apology between the child yeah. and, the f and the parent and you know they can move on and be happy okay. uh, as a family so I did that and I did that for probably about a year and then a job came up uh, for an, a new early intervention program that was being set up in Sussex and there was nothing like it like it in the, in the UK at the time and the crime commissioner had funded like just under a million pound for this project and it come up and one of the police officers that saw me do a talk in a school as a workshop doing a bit of role play about how to get kids away from the risk of exploitation and dealing with from gangs. And he was like, that was brilliant. There's a job role coming up and I want you to apply for it. I was nervous straight away. I thought, really? Like that's, mm. I haven't got the experience for that. So I applied for the job and I sat in front of like five different people when I had this interview. I, I, I didn't sleep for days. Did I? I like literally, I had this stuff to remember. And I've never done an interview like mm. properly, not like that anyway, mm. to that extreme. And it was a big job. It was like probably the highest paid job I've ever had. Like I think it was starting like 27, 28 grand a year. And that weren't me. My, my stuff's not that. Like my resume would just tell you that I've dealt drugs and that's all I've done most of my yeah. life, you know. They didn't give it me the first time round and I knew that was going to happen. It was the second interview stuff and let me speak to one manager, et cetera. And I had my interview with, with her and I basically answered every single question that she was going to ask me with one reply to what, what the first question she asked. Mm. And within five minutes of leaving, they gave me the job. So I worked on that project 
for about two years, all the way through COVID as well, when COVID had hit. Mm -hmm. um, I'd worked with 77 kids uh, in that space of time, alone working as well, going into people, families, houses, yeah. picking up kids, getting them into gyms, taking them here, taking them there. And this going to the school from that, uh, from that job role when the job ended because of funding, the funding stream had got dropped and they, the, the highest paid part of that job was the coaches and the management. So they got rid of that bit and concentrated on the side parts of the role. Ask me if it, if you're, if I feel that that it, that would have worked. Yeah, I don't think so because we was the main part of that job that made yeah. things work. So because I'd worked with probably about twenty kids from one set school, there was a job that came up at a school near my house, and I thought because of my criminal record, tattoos and all that, I won't get a job in the school. But I went for the job, and I had the job within twenty minutes. So <laughs> twenty minutes, and I was just like, "What really? Like, what they're going to give me the job?" So it was running the behavior unit. Okay. Um, and we called it. It was called. It was called learning recovery. Okay. So we instead of calling it isolation, which you shouldn't really call it isolation anymore. Back when I was a kid, you was banged in a room on your yeah. own, facing the wall. You can't do that anymore. Mm. That's just it's child abuse, isn't it? So it was called learning recovery. So what would happen is, a young person would get taken out of class because of misbehaving, yep. not doing the work, or you know, causing chaos with other kids in there. Mm. They'd get put into the behavior unit to learn to recover and get back in class. Yeah. That's how it was supposed to happen. Yeah. It weren't happening whilst I was there. It was all over the place. There was no expectations being stuck to or anything. So I thought, right, this needs to be sorted out. So I put up a load of, I put, put together like nine expectations, really simple ones, nothing's too tricky for them to stick to, really, really simple expectations. Within two weeks, I had it on the wraps. So everybody was sticking to it. The usual people that was coming in and out of learning recovery, they weren't coming in anymore. And it was new people. And, the, you know, the school was so wrapped up with other stuff, they didn't even notice the change that was happening mm. in the recovery unit. Mm. And when I saw that, it changed my way I was thinking about school because there's nothing there for teacher and pupil because you've got like 30 odd children in one class at one time. And if you've got three children that are causing chaos, the ones that are under with their work and they don't understand certain things, they're slipping through the neck because more, more, they're concentrating more on the bad kids. Yeah. And then they get sent to me. So it got to the point where the young people enjoyed being in my recovery unit more than they'd enjoyed being in class mm. because they get treated better. They get spoken to like they deserve to be spoken mm. to. I'd be on a level with them. It wouldn't never be higher and above. Mm. I'd be I'd be on their level with mm. them, and it, it went really really well. But it it kind of went a little bit pear shaped because I, well I say pear shaped not pear shaped. That was the wrong thing to say. I did well and I lasted about seven eight months in there. Okay. And the other people that had taken that job before they'd gone after four weeks. Okay, I stayed there for a while because mm. I enjoyed it. I had rapport with the kids within two weeks. Mm. And I applied for a second job to go alongside it, bearing in mind I'd just done the youth work job and I'd worked very closely with a knife crime agency um, who I'd helped get back into that school because I was now there who kept pushing them out, not letting them in. But I got in there, they was in. They was in the school. And I applied for a, a detached youth worker role, doing about seven hours a week extra in the evening time. And because I'd been on a child protection plan because of the previous behaviour when I was on the drugs... I didn't need to discuss that interview. I've not committed any criminal offence with that. It was emotional harm towards my kids. I deserve to be on that plan, but they was taken off it within three months. Three months they was taken off of it. The, the, the judge gave me different aspects of what they wanted, the judge wanted me to do. By the December, I was drug-free, given negative samples, and I had access to my kids straight away. Shouldn't have even been on the plan in the end. Mm. 
and they gave me the job through the interview and then on their council system it flagged up to okay. them that I'd been on a child protection plan mm. they phoned me up and retracted the job yeah. so with that happening they notified the school but I was just putting my notice in because I started doing acting work and doing a bit of supported artist stuff behind the scenes made in Chelsea and stuff like that okay. so I was already putting in my notice. I'd already had enough with the job that was done because I had so much work being offered in with an agent that I was working with. I couldn't do it because of the term times with the school. Mm. So I thought, right, I'm quitting my job. So I quit my job and then it's 2nd of September come and they phoned me up to suspend me from work just because of that flag up thing because they've now contacted the school. Yeah. I was like, why didn't you mention it in the interview? I'm like, why am I going to do that? Mm. It wasn't relevant to any of the questions you was asking me mm. and I haven't committed any offence. Mm. There was no need to discuss it. Mm. So I went through loads of drama with HR, meetings back and forth, really worried because I didn't want that on my CV. Of course, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what, you're going to dismiss me from the school because mm. of this, like really, is that a dismissible offence mm. because I haven't discussed that? So I was really panicking. In the end, because I'm not stupid, I know my, I know my rights and I'm, I can, I'm very clever when I put my mind to it, mm. I was back and forth with this HR, you know, and in the end I won my case. And they said, if you wouldn't have put your notice in, we would have kept you employed. Mm. <laughs> it's a little bit late for that, yeah. you know, a little bit late for that. So yeah, so that's that's how it became working from the working for the school and leaving the school. Tell us about um, the team and you, your team of people that you have and how you manage that team and the people working. Sorry, coming to you for help. How how do you navigate all that? Behind the project team is me and Carla. So it's just the two of you. Yeah, two's a duo. Flipping Nora. That's so a lot that, to take on for both of you because you've got kids. Yeah, and it, it, it's difficult. But when it comes to other stuff that's outside of that, mm. then we have different connections with people that we, we're really good friends with, okay. like especially when it comes to knife crime. Okay. So, you know, we have we have a massive, massive community with the knife crime. You know, my pal Paul and, you know, like it's, he does the same thing for me with his brother. But when it comes back to, like, project-wise website wise you know content wise we've got it's, it's me and carla like me and carla do all of that mm. and in fact to be fair you know I, i've obviously got the content she deals with the website yeah so and she's really good at that stuff yeah when it comes to setting up different things bank accounts getting contacts with this uh, carla okay so that's how we run it and obviously i'm the hands-on yeah so if there's a contact that will come through with a school that gets then set up. Obviously, this is how much it costs. I jump in the car, drive, go there for a couple of hours, stand in front of however many people and do the talk. I'm come back and I'm done. So, you know, get your references at the end of it. How was that? That was brilliant. They really took effect to it. I've had young kids coming on my TikTok saying, you did a talk at my school. That was yeah. brilliant. Blah, blah, blah. We've had that quite a lot, haven't we? So, you know, and yeah, team-wise, me and Carla. So, like, the whole reason why I had, obviously, social media before, and I literally put everything into the social media and I put everything not in my family. And I literally went away with mm. the fairies with it. And I just, it just all went to my head. Problems then started occurring at home. And I, you know, I wasn't at home. I wasn't doing things with family. I wasn't being very good as a partner with Carla. And I was just out on the road all the time. And it just literally, I just turned into an asshole. And, you know, everything went pear shaped and, you know, sitting back together having a discussion about it you know when we was in the right frame of mind to do so we decided to to, to do because we're good at everything we do we're good at we're like, and i think because of the lives that we've both come from sitting there doing it together i don't want to do it on my own anymore it's best to have her with me with mm. doing it so two, that's where two's a duo come from mm. 
And since we've done it and we set that up together, we've worked really good as a team. We always do and we always we always have and we always will. So sitting there talking to people on lives and doing the Instagrams and we have so many people that message us about mental health and addiction and prison and we've always got an answer for everything because we know what we've been there. Mm. And it's not the fact we're talking about this stuff because we've been to university for it. We've actually mm. lived it. Mm. So a lot of people get a lot out of it with us mm. and that's basically how it's started and, and it's now how do you manage it though how are you <laughs> juggling because listen i know how hard it is mm. having a successful social media right i know yeah. how hard it is i also know that there are going to be hundreds and hundreds of people messaging and telling you and that's a lot for you two to take on on top of... Because, look, look, at the end of the day, we're all human. Mm. We all have our own issues that we're dealing with as well. And the fact you've got children, and that in itself needs a support group, yeah. being a parent, exactly. you know. <laughs> and how do you guys find that time and that balance? How are you managing that? So what we so I've got a day job as well. Okay. So What's your day job now? So my yeah. day job, I'm a senior support worker for drug okay. and alcohol. Okay. Um, obviously, I've worked up the ranks in the in the job that I've had. Obviously, I've had the different jobs in between, like the youth work and stuff. But I always end up back if something don't like work out or the job loses their funding. I always end up back with my drug and alcohol work. I love it. Yeah. It's a really good job. Support people every day. What we'll do is we we'll, we'll set a time. We'll get everything dealt with so the kids in bed. Yeah. My daughter to sleep because she's a nightmare to get to bed. Oh she's God, like okay. she seems to get more hyperactive in in the night time than she is through the day drives me nuts but she she's yeah so as soon as we've got her to bed we plan probably around about between 8 30 and 9 o'clock we'll go live and we'll go live sometimes we only plan on going live for like 45 minutes and we have like an hour or something we end up being up for like three hours the yeah, time flies by. Fly by quick, you're like bloody yeah. yeah well it's 12 o'clock already jesus mm. christ but but within that time we can have like up to a thousand people popping mm. in and out in and out like i mean think in one night we had 22,000 views on a live in one night yeah. and they, they got that much with the comments just coming they was just flying by we couldn't even keep up and you've got people hey you say something to that person you don't reply to us mm. but like we seriously don't see the messages see going them through going too fast, yeah. so we get we do get so many messages but what we'll do is we have kind of like a half and half thing so Carla will reply to the females and I'll reply to the males. Sometimes she'll reply to the males and the odd occasion here and there, I'll, I'll reply to the females. But sometimes when the females are coming through, it's more Carla's, Carla to reply to that. Yeah. It's more, I think it's better for her to, to do that. And the males coming through, some of the discussions that they're, they're talking about would be, you know, prison or addiction and stuff. Mm. And that's, that's my genre. Mm. So I can then reply to that. Mm. So we'll go on lives and we'll have the comments coming through and we'll let them build up for a bit. Um, on the odd occasion, we'll say, right, when we go to bed, we'll lay there before we're having a bit of a wind down and stuff. We'll just scroll through our TikTok, see what's come through, and we'll reply to you as soon as we can. Mm. And that's how we've been doing it, and it's been working pretty well. Okay. Um, admittedly, some nights we're on a little bit later, and I've obviously got to get up for work at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm mm. so tired when mm. I get up. Um, but it's not always like that. So we are managing it pretty well, but I mean, our followers are starting to go up more now. So like we've had we've had the page for like seven weeks and we've got nearly 7,000 followers. That's good. It's, it has got, gone up pretty well. Quite a few of our videos have hit off, had big numbers on the videos. But the main thing that we're doing the page for is to have it as a community. So we've had like this, we've got this, we've, we're setting up our new like hashtag. So it's it's just about keeping it real. 
So it's just community support. And I, I can't even remember what the word is. Like, <laughs> but it's about it's about keeping things real. Okay. So acting as like being a community, supporting each other. And I, what I like when people are coming on lives with us is like if someone comes on the live and they say, oh, I've had a really bad day today. I don't feel well at all. Um, I'm really stressed out. Everybody else that's watching that will message them back and they'll say, yeah, oh, we hope you're okay. Yeah, and, and I, that's what I want our page to be mm -hmm. about because you can see there's so much negativity on social media and some people love negativity. I don't they like it. They thrive off it, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. They thrive off of it and I, I, I don't like it. So I'd rather, I just want to keep our page positive. Happy, yeah, yeah positive. good for you. Let's talk about your episode of Raising Teens on BBC Radio last year. Um, how is it working with other people that are fighting for the same cause? What's it like meeting like-minded people that want to get the messages out? So how that came about, so there's a lady I know called Jane Keaton. Okay. And she's got, um, the, her and two, two, a couple of other people, Daisy and her sister, they, they've got a company in Brighton called We Make Good Trouble. Um, and they do a lot for young people. Okay. And they actually set up like a, a, a Big Brother diary room thing and that, because like, they used to be involved with that production-wise. And they set up a Big Brother diary room and stuff, and they had all these kids coming. And they did really good things. We worked in partnership with them with our program called Reboot that we worked on, okay. the early intervention. And that's how I met her. Obviously, by the way that I'd carried myself from day one, you know, I had no experience working with young people, but the other eight people that I worked with, the amount of years, added up to about 90 years between them mm. with experience. I just came into it blind and I just hit it off and cracked on. And a lot of people noticed that. So I got invited. I've been on there twice and I, I got invited on there for the first time to, you know, how to help deal with challenging young people, you know, anger and stuff like that. Mm. And then there was the, the the cannabis talk. The good thing about that is because I think where we where we sit there and, and you know a lot of people will sit and stress and moan about young people. Oh, they need to be doing this. Oh, they need to be doing that. But they're always couch warriors, and it's like, well, how would they expect to do that if we're not going to help them get there? The community of what we've got and and the network of support that I've got with that, you've got a better chance. You're never going to cure the problem, mm. but you can help prevent so much stuff for working together especially if you've got a company, I've got a company, they've got a company, she's got a company, he's got a company. The more people that stick together with it, there's so many more options for young people. So I've got a lot out of doing that stuff and so many things have come my way from like doing radio stations and I get another one that wants to do something and mm -hmm. you know, you get to share your experience with people and young people start to hear this stuff. So then when I do come up against young people, they already know who I am. Mm -hmm. They know that what I'm talking is real and true facts. And you've already basically hit it off before you've actually met. It makes life so much easier. And I've always got somebody to fall back on when it comes to contacts. All is if I need something or there's something that I'm not sure of, I can just send an email or I'll just send a text and I'll have a response pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's it's good. And the same likewise when it goes for them, they'll be like, oh, we need this, uh, we need some content for this or there's this school that's been asking for this and this and this. Would you, uh, would you be able to help us out? Would you be able to come up there? Of course I will. Mm -hmm. So it's always good. It's, it's, it's beneficial. Tell us about how you help families of knife crime victims. A lot of kids are dying from knife crime. A lot. A lot more than what people realise. A lot of it's not publicised, is it? No, nah, none of it at all. Mm. And I think with, there's a big community of us that are fighting against knife crime. And if it wasn't for a lot of, not even just myself, but there's many of us around the country, if it wasn't for them posting these newspaper articles or a video that's been put up on Snapchat or something, you know, no one would be aware of it because mm. the media aren't putting it out there. 
This is the reason why when you start talking to different services about certain um, stuff to do with knife crime, they, they're blind to it. They're like, well, there's not a knife crime issue. Yeah, there is. Like, knife crime is at its all-time high. So, you know, that yeah, there's a massive problem with knife crime. I decided... What I decided to do, I wanted to start filming. Um, I had a cameraman. And, um, well, how I met the cameraman, I was supposed to... Uh, I had a, an audition for a movie, for a feature, feature film, whilst I was in Spain on holiday at Villa. And I did like a five minute Zoom meeting and I got the part for this film. But it turned out like there's another cameraman that worked with him. His name's Jamie, a good friend of mine. Um, and he does a lot of filming. He's got his own editing company. And I started talking to, I, I started talking to a mum who'd lost her son in Manchester. And I thought, right, this stuff needs to be televised. And it needs to be televised because people need to see the hurt and the ripple effect that these actions cause for other people. Mm. Because it's all right seeing on the news, 15-year-old uh, boys passed away, um, known to this person or that person, but they don't actually explain the person that's been killed because there's more to them than them being stabbed. That, that's, that's, someone's lost their family member, you know? He's obviously had like 15 years of his life. We need to talk about that. So I, I drove to Manchester with a cameraman and I did some filming with a lady called Kelly who lost her son Romero. And I did a march through Manchester with her, with a megaphone, and we were screaming in the streets, held up the traffic, you know, knife crime takes people's lives and stuff, and, you know, making a lot of people aware of, of the effects what knife crime have and the consequences to this. Um, so once I started doing that, I then started to get introduced to more people when it comes to knife crime. There's massive community of us, like Julie Taylor, who lost her grandson Fish in Essex. Like, there's so many people. What we're trying to do now with this in support and help with when it comes to knife crime is we're, we're all battling to try and get lead control kits put up in areas. So this is what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. So you lead on to that. It's great. So the bleed control kits, I mean, realistically, us as normal members of the, the, the public, community-wise, shouldn't have to fork out money or beg different businesses or companies to to donate money to get mm. these bleed boxes up. Mm. The council or the government should do them mm. anyway. Mm. They're saving people's lives. But that's not happening. So these poor people that have lost their loved ones to knife crime are having to put their thoughts and feelings away of losing a family member to make sure other people's children, or you know, not even children, adults, mm. are safe if, if the worst was to happen because one of these boxes are put up. I've, I, I had a clothing sponsor, I called him all VR, and I was, uh, he was a sponsor for me for a while with, with clothes, and he donated me 550 quid, because okay. that's how much, because they're not cheap, 550 quid for a box, my first and one and only box that I've got, um, and he's donated me this box, and the nightmare that I've had to try and get this box put up, or even get donations for many more of these boxes, has been hitting a brick wall constantly. But that doesn't make sense to me because you can walk into a Tesco's and there's a defibrillator. So why the hell is there not a bleed, what's it called? Bleed control kit. Bleed control kit next to it. My argument, exactly. That doesn't make it's sense. It's the stigma that goes with the box. Oh, like I said, Because I it doesn't ha just have to be used for, for stab wounds. No, so you're saying exactly that. This is how I talk about it. You know, these, these could be used for car crashes, people falling over and having a, a really bad uh, split, you know, like a big cut. Like an elderly uh, person. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been in talks with like our local train station. Luckily for me, I've managed to get media coverage on it. So I've been in the newspaper a couple of times, tell my story, ex-gang member hating me. You know, they have to label it like that. Yeah. But, it, you know, I've had two articles in the newspaper 
Um, and I've got currently I've got ITV Meridian that want the story, and I've got now got GB News that want me as okay, well. Okay, that's good. So GB News are gonna I'm gonna take them around Hastings and just show show them a few spots of like known uh, knife crime spots that, that it's happened where someone's been stabbed and. Mm. Uh, one kid called Connor, um, he got stabbed in Hastings five years ago, which is where the the No Knives project got set up for mm. in our in our area. So I've been in talks with our local train station. Obviously, we know you know when young kids are trafficked and stuff through county lines and that they mm. they can be put on trains. You yeah. know, so where there's drugs involved, there's going to be knife crime involved. But where I want this box situated, it's a train station, a bus station, and a college. They're all in the same vicinity as each other. But then if you walk three minutes down the road, you're in the main town centre. So the box is really quite close. So I'm just waiting for the agreement from facilities to say that it's safe to do so. Yeah, crack on, you can bang the box up. I've had the yes from the manager of the station. Now I need the higher up. Mm. And it's just a waiting game. Mm. I've had this box in, we've had this box outside our house now for about four or five months because I can't get anyone to get me, let me put this box up. As soon as I've got that box up, I'm hoping then from then on that I can get more donations to come through because I need another 10. So once I've got like another 10 boxes and that station's allowed me to put it up, I'm going to have it at every single station that goes up our coast. Yeah. So they're all going to be there. And then I'll move on into my town centre. I mean, there was a stabbing in, in, our, in an area called Battle um, a couple of weeks ago. Nothing would ever happen in Battle. Battle's a really nice place. Mm -hmm. Battle Abbey, they have like loads of the... Just it's just a nice place. You wouldn't expect for a stabbing to happen there, but it has. Um, well, you wouldn't expect someone to be stabbed in Harrods in the Louis Vuitton department for their watch, would you? But that happened two weeks ago. Exactly. So I think I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Because even the places you wouldn't expect it to happen is happening, and if that's happening in these places that you don't expect it to happen, that we're hearing about. It's one million percent happening in places that you maybe would expect it and you're not hearing about. Exactly. And that's why that's the fight. And, it, and it's a long fight and it's a fight that's never going to stop. You know, these things are going to happen. It's going to get worse. Mm. You know, the gen generation after generation after generation. And there, there's so much stuff, like I said earlier, you know, you've got a lot. You've got a, a lot of influence on online now and you've you've got nothing against drill singers like rappers nothing against them at all you've there's some good drill music yeah. out there you know some good commercial stuff mm. they're doing they've come from the streets they're doing this drill stuff they've done bloody well for themselves they've made money out of it crack on you're doing really well but then you've got the other ones that ain't got to that stage mm. you've got the ones that are rapping about stabbing and shanking mm. somebody and their oppositions over there and they're quite happy to rap about that and get mm. themselves locked up for 20 years mm. but you've got some of them songs are quite catchy mm. but then you've got kids that are rapping them songs mm. and they're imitating that behavior and they're going to take that behavior to the street are we going to be able to deal with that problem with that no we're not why is that music still allowed to be played on social media ban it like ban that kind of music that's glamorizing stabbing people and keep the commercial drill. Keep the commercial drill because what you'll find is the ones that are doing these songs about stabbing people, when these songs start getting banned and they can no longer do that, but then they realize, actually, I can probably make money more, more money from commercial drill music than I am from this go to the commercial music, then they'll see what kind of a better life that they can have doing the commercial drill music mm -hmm. and then put that life behind them. Then have these kids now start looking up to them because they're doing good music, proper music that's not about stabbing people and having people looking up to them for the right reasons. Then you it's not just about stabbing though, is it? It's about glorifying se uh, sex, yeah, drugs, drugs, guns, shanking. Trap houses. Yeah, this, this yeah. that, hose. Bitches, excuse my French and using these terrible words, but 
everything these days seems to be geared around talking about that. You're right. The commercial stuff is a lot milder, but yeah. the, the inference is still there. And I feel like it's a way of... So just to go, so this is completely off topic, right? But I read and watched a series, a TV program about how computer games affect children's minds, right? Yeah. And what it said, what they did is they put a classroom, thirty kids in one room, and thirty kids in another room. This, these children were watching cartoons, kids' cartoons, happy, fun, yeah. singing. Yeah, these were teenage, like early teens, like 12, 10, 11, 12 year old kids. In this room. They making them play fighting games, right? Yeah. They took those children and put them in that room, right? Then they put the news on. They were all being monitored. They had their palpitations yeah. were being monitored, right? A heart rate. The children who'd been playing the computer games, when the news came on saying that there was a war and that loads of people were being blown up and it was really graphic and really terrible... Those children that have been playing computer games didn't have any reaction to it at all. Whereas the children that would been watching the kids kiddie programs were horrified. Their heart rate was going up. They were absolutely petrified. Mm. So what I'm getting from that and what I'm saying that about is when kids hear music or they play these games where they're going around stabbing people, shooting people, whatever, it's normalizing it for of them. Course. And what that is doing is teaching their brain that these things are okay. Yeah. So that if they get offered a knife, they think, all right, I'll take it. It'll protect me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've been using one on my computer game. Or he, he raps about it. It's normal. Music computer games have such a massive impact on our kids. And I really agree with you that they should be banning this kind of music because it's only going to create more problems. It's not going to stop. I mean, it's, it's still going to happen. And, and I think be, what it can be monetized. Yeah. You can make money out of it. Mm. You know, the amount of views you're going to get with this kind of music on YouTube, the young kids of today, they love it. So the more views they're getting, mm. the more money's starting to top up, you know. Mm. If they're getting paid for it, they're going to keep doing it. But you, you're right with the, when it comes to that. And I, I think you, uh, half the, if you look at the media, the, the media's not showing anything really positive, is it? You know, like the news doesn't show anything positive. And if it does, it's the last three or four minutes of the yeah. program. Everything else throughout that is just pure negativity, mm. just all about war and, you know, just where is all the, where's all the good stuff? Mm. Like surely there's some good news out there, you know, not, it's not all bad. So our generation, I, I, I feel sorry for the generation that's growing up now because it's, it's a lost generation. Yeah. It's a lost generation and... I think, you know, us that have been there, done it and got the T-shirt, don't have a chance of, like, curing the problem. We have a, a, a good opportunity of being able to prevent certain things. Um, and we, none of us, me or Carla and everybody else that I'm involved with, we're not going to stop. We're just going to keep doing it. You can keep frowning up upon your, your bleed control kits and stuff and saying the stigma, oh, we've not got no knife crime issue. And just don't moan about it. Put it up. It's preventing. It's there for a prevention. Like you said, with the defib kits, what does that mean? Everybody has a heart attack every five no, minutes. They no, they're there for prevention, the same as these kids. Yeah. So let's just put them up. You're doing something to help a community. And not only that, the people that are donating, 
the money for these boxes. The logo of their companies who's donated goes on the front of that box. It's advertisement. It's advertisement for business. You're doing something good for the community. You're helping. If anyone ever has a catastrophic bleed, you have just prevented someone possibly dying donating for them boxes. So and it's such a small amount of money, realistically, to any business, isn't it? Yeah, cool. it is. It is. I mean, yeah, it is to a business, but like to obviously... To like an individual, it's different. To an individual, it's quite expensive. Yeah. Well, 550 quid. Like, well, listen, if you're thinking of like a business or company that could be, you know, t doing a turnover of a million pound a year, mm. 550 pound or 10,000 pound for, for what is that, like 16 boxes, mm. nothing. That's, that's not really going to touch them. But surely in certain policies, when it comes to businesses, they have to be shown that they're doing something for community. Yeah. What are you doing for community then? Because this is a massive thing to do. Mm. And it's really good for your business. You're right. It's a, a battle. But I'm glad to, when you said it, it made me feel good when I heard you say, we're not going to stop. So that's the key point from this, is that even though you're going to keep getting the no's, there's going to become a point where you are going to start getting yeses mm. and that will then catalyst it and make it go huge. And so it's just pushing through for that point. You just have to keep up. Listen, I've had so many no's in my life. Mm. So many doors have been closed in my face. But look where I am now. I'm sat in front of you. I've been sat in many other people. I have like me and Carla both have a really good full frontal on social media. Obviously, if you keep going, you're going to get somewhere. Just don't don't start. Don't let the no's just, you know, you're going to get somewhere. You put your mind to it. That, that's you just got to keep going with it and just be focused. Everybody's going to get a no sometimes in their life. I used, to, I used to hate hearing the word no when I was younger. But now I'm used to hearing no's. So it makes that one yes, like, really rewarding when yeah. you get it because you've done so much hard work to get the yeah. It's just like, oh, good for that. Now you can like, ah, now you can breathe, breathe until yeah. you now have to get the next one. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as you get the next one, you have to go through it all over again. But like I said, like even with my pal in Ipswich, he's put up like 20, I think it's 26. I might be getting it wrong, so I apologize. But it, it was 26 and he's done 26 boxes up in his area. The first few that he had, he, it was a bit of hard work, like getting them up. But now look at him, he's, mm. he's flowing with 26. So I want the same for my area as well, and I will do it. Like it's, I'm not going to stop doing it. We need to do it everywhere. Yeah, it's exactly. It's not just your area, their area, my area. It needs to be every area. It's not a something that should be located just in certain areas. We've got, like, there's people in Manchester that are doing them due yeah. to the fact of other people that have lost their lives, their families are getting boxes put up. And like I say, it's hard work to get them. It's mm. really difficult to get the donations. And then we've got, there's people in Essex that are getting them. There's people in London that are doing them as mm. well. Um, like there's there's the zip switch. There's somebody called Zoe in Nottingham that I know that's doing it. Um, and then obviously me down in the south coast because there's not one box. I'm the first person to put them up in, in our area, mm. and that will be, be Eastbourne, Hastings, Brighton. There's no boxes, so I'm the first one to do it. So even though I'm going to be doing it in that area, I am going to branch it out and I'm going to go to different areas. So then it'll be Lewis, and then it'll be go like it'll go to Crawley and places like. That. So I'll start branching out, but I need to start off where I of am. Um, and once I've done that and people start noticing it because it's going to be on the news so people are going to be questioning oh, what's that all that about hopefully then I should get more people start to contact us and I, I can start going forward with it and pushing it more yeah and hopefully this podcast will raise awareness for your okay. cause as well and hopefully you know there'll be people that will watch this and say oh actually that's my area and I want to help so let's keep our fingers, fingers crossed. crossed and they can contact you but there's just let's just round off now because we've both got to be somewhere quite exciting. <laughs> if you could say to the youth of today one thing about who they surround themselves with, what would you say? Jesus. So I'd I'd basically say 
just be just be careful who you are surrounding yourself with because when times are hard and that actually hits the fan you're going to have no one around you and you're just going to be on your own my advice would be to simply just you know as much as people don't like school try and concentrate on your school no one likes it neither did i but i wish i did um concentrate on your school do your do your gcses and go out and try if you, you should and sit down and think about any goals that you've got or anything that you'd like to achieve in your life because if you put your mind to it you're going to achieve it but only you can do it and there was a word that was that i heard someone say on social media before and it was believe to achieve believe in yourself and you will achieve anything if if you achieve to believe like that it doesn't work like that you have to have it as a believe to achieve and just believe in yourself and go and do it because at the end of the day, the minute that you take that step and you go and do that, and then a few years' time you look behind you, then ones that you've left behind are still going to be doing the same stuff and you're actually going to be doing really well for yourself. I've been there and I've done it and now I'm sat here. So it's proof in the pudding that you can do it when you put your mind to it. You are proof that anyone who puts their mind to it can do it. And um, you're an inspiration, and I'm sure you're an inspiration to many people who want to get out of bad situations mm. want to get away from drugs and also i think what i really like about you carl is that you know you've done bad things mm. but you can admit it and you're not ashamed to admit it because you know that actually it's a learning curve and that nobody is perfect and that without the support of your carla and the wanting to go forward for your kids mm. that you know who knows but you did it, and that is really inspirational to me because of my personal circumstances, and you know what they are. Yeah. I'm I'm proud of you, and I don't even know you apart from Thank today. You. But um, you've done really, really well, Carl, and I think that anybody who was where you were, and if they ever get the chance to watch this, will see that it is possible to get out of either gangs and drugs and do something really positive for other people because... You know what I mean? You could have gone and worked yeah. in Waitrose or you could have got a regular job, a regular person's job, but what you chose to do was actually help people with your job. You're a youth worker, yeah. senior youth worker. Is that right? Senior drug support worker. Se senior but drug support youth worker. mental on the side okay. of that in my free time. So yeah. so you didn't have to you didn't have to go down that route. Mm. Yeah. You could have been selfish. And what you actually did was take all of those negatives that happened in your life and made them into something really positive. And that is my little life thing. I don't know what you call it. Nothing is negative if you make it into a positive. And that's exactly what you, Carl, have done. So, I, like I said, I'm really proud of you. And I'm sure I know Carla is. And I know your kids are. And, yeah, you. I, I hope you remember how far you've come. And keep reminding yourself of that as well. Yeah, I do. Good. I do. Because it's important. Self-recognition is really important to say, actually, I came from down there and I'm actually going up and I'm doing really well. So just please remember that all the time. And if you ever need someone to remind you other than your missus, are you going, all oh, right, if you say so, just send me a text message <laughs> I'll and I'll remind, I'll yeah. remind you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. But thanks for coming on the oh, show. Thank you for having me. I've, it's been good. Do you want to give everybody your handles and tell them just the names of the projects you're working on so that if anybody wants to donate or they want to follow you, that they can? Yeah, so uh, it's just it, straightforward, just Who's a Duo um, Instagram, Who's a Duo Official for TikTok. 
Uh, my project is 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 the coming soon because I've had to redo the the website. So Carlo and myself are sitting down just to redo the website on okay. that. But that's going to be that's Project Youth. Okay. Um, and yeah, so they're they're the only things that we have going. Apart so. from the kits. Oh yeah, the bleed control kits. But with the yep. ble- with the bleed control kits. I'll, I'll be running that through through the Tuesday Job official. Okay. My link that I have that any money that gets gets put or donated into that goes straight into a business account. Um, anybody that does donate for that, their logos goes on the boxes for whoever's done donated it, so people can see that they've donated to that uh, company. Invoices will be given out, um, and the proof of the purchase of the boxes, etc. So you know, no, you know, a lot of people can be give, might get worried. You know, if certain people are that will I see the box? Yeah, of course you will. Yeah, mm. you will see that. Um, so yeah, all it's it's just all done via myself and so contact. Two's a duo. Two's a duo for Instagram, two's a duo, duo official for TikTok. Perfect. So thank you again, Carl, for joining me here today on the Emily Abraham Presents the Love Luxury podcast. And I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so thank much you for so coming. Well. Thank you.